Today's Transmissions podcast is brought to you by 80stees.com. 80stees.com has an incredible selection of Transformers shirts and hoodies, including some amazing Transformers costume hoodies. Transform into Grimlock, Megatron, or even Optimus Prime with the 80stees.com costume hoodies. Hey there, Big C here. This is a special episode of Transmissions that we recorded early in January 2014. And we had the privilege to interview Margaret Scott about her upcoming Windblade comic book miniseries. Unfortunately, after we recorded the show, we found out that IDW and Hasbro had an embargo on any official Windblade talk. So we had to hold this episode back for a little while. Now the embargo has been lifted, and we proudly present this special episode featuring Margaret Scott. Enjoy! Hello, all sentient beings, and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the... On this special midweek episode of Transmissions, we welcome Transformers Prime TV and comic book writer Meredred Scott to tell us all about the new project she's working on for 2014. And we'll all go over the Transformers swag we each got for Christmas this year. We have all this and so very much more on this episode of Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast that parties like it's 1984. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. Yo! Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Happy New Year. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Let's talk Transformers. All right, and we have a very special guest on Transmissions for this episode. She has the distinction of being the first woman to write Transformers comics with the series Rage of the Dinobots and Transformers Prime Beast Hunters, and is also one of the select few individuals to write Transformers for both comics and television. And if that wasn't enough, IDW has recently announced that she will be writing a new Transformers comic coming in April, featuring the new fan-created character Windblade. We are very pleased to welcome Ms. Margaret Scott. Hi, guys. Hey, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate getting the chance to talk to you. No, thanks for having me. And uh, first, uh, let's uh, just wish you a happy new year since uh, we're starting off 2014, the 30th anniversary of Transformers. I know. It's an exciting, exciting year. Yeah, lots of lots of big stuff coming, including uh, this new comic that you've got coming out. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was our early Christmas present to, to the Transformers fans. And to this podcast. Yes, and to this podcast. <laughs> Specifically to this podcast. <laughs> and we, we definitely appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so we're big fans of your work on the Transformers Prime show and comics, but for fans who may not be familiar with your work, can you give us a brief overview of what projects you've worked on? Sure. Well, um, funnily enough, I mostly work on Transformers. Um, so <laughs> I, I've written for Transformers Prime, uh, the television show, um, and uh, as well as Rescue Bots, its sister show. Uh, you can also see my writing on uh, Kaijudo, Rise of the Duel Masters, um, you'll be able to see it on a bunch of things coming up next year. Unfortunately, animation takes forever to get done. <laughs> um, but in terms of my comic work, you can uh, read my stuff with uh, my co-writer, Mike Johnson, on Rage of the Dinobots, Transformers Prime, Beast Hunters, and uh, now my first solo Transformers book, uh, the new Transformers Windblade. So Awesome. All right, so let's uh, let's go back, start start back from the beginning before we. Uh, uh, I know everyone's really excited about Windblade, but we'll uh, we'll 
we want to go back and, you know, delve into all the stuff you've worked on previously. Uh, so just to start off, were you a big Transformers fan before working on the show and comic? I I was, but I always feel like I have to put like an asterisk on that because I grew up in the Beast Wars era. I feel like when you say you're a Transformers fan, a lot of people are like, oh, you saw G1. And I actually did not see G1 growing up. It, it was a little bit before I was really into cartoons, um, as in Alive. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> not that it wasn't great, and I have seen it all now. Uh, but no, I, I when I first think of Optimus, I think of Optimus Primal and, you know, the Maximals and that kind of stuff. So, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm so happy Waspinator made it into the IDW continuity. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's been really interesting. So once... I saw the the Michael Bay films and just started going back and watching the uh, the original stuff. And when I got hired on Prime, well, essentially I became a professional fan girl. Um, so okay, <laughs> tried to watch as much as possible. <laughs> okay, so so basically, is it was the Beast Wars gar- cartoon that really got you into Transformers? Oh yeah, yeah, that cartoon was. I mean. They made so many smart choices. Even looking back now, it, just the design elements, how well, knowing the limit of what those rigs can do, you know, incorporating the ball and socket joints into the design to make them look fluid and um, just the really, really smart use of sets and 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 that core cast, the different dynamics that they set up with that was so important. Plus, I don't know why, but for some reason growing up, every female character in every series was a flyer. Like they could all fly. Like that was the thing. If you were a woman, you could fly. Power Rangers could fly. Air Razor could fly. You know, like half the female X-Men could fly. Even Rogue, you know, like she punches and she also flies. Like (laughs) it sort of became like a... It was really nice to have like another female character that could fly, but this time, you know, also had like claws and stuff. <laughs> Hang on a second. Have you seen the Dark Crystal? No, I. I this is going to be really controversial. I really dislike puppets. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I have it? a really weird thing with with puppets. There's just something about puppets that I just I can't. I can't deal with. Um, so I, you. I mean, I, I watch Labyrinth because like David Bowie outweighs puppets, but yeah, I know it's terrible. And, and wouldn't you know it? Like three of my friends are like puppeteers. Um, <laughs> they're always like, come to our show. And I'm like, no, no. Okay. There's, there's, there's a scene in that and I'm going to mess it up. But when the boy and the girl meet in that, in the dark crystal and the boy realizes the girl can fly. And he's like, I can't fly. And she says, well, that's because you're a boy, stupid. Oh, my God. That's awesome. (laughs) See, I've actually felt a little cheated growing up because, like I said, every woman could fly. I can't fly. I mean, I can, you know, buy a plane ticket, but that's just not the same. (laughs) Especially when I lived in Manhattan, man. I was like, this commute would be so much easier if I could fly. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my wife and I always joke about it because she's Chinese and you look at all those Kung Fu movies and stuff and all the, the Chinese people there are flying and she's like, oh, yeah, that's just something we do. I'm like, oh, <laughs> man. You got to have a sense of humor about that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess you hadn't really been act- been active in the Transformers fandom before working on the show or ha- had you like done anything with the message boards and things like that? 
No, I wasn't uh, big on the internet. I, I've always been big into cartoons, uh, but my f- family, um, as you may have noticed by my last name, which is Scott, we're Scottish. And well, one of the stereotypes of Scottish people is that we're, we're very um, careful with money. And so my parents, uh, the idea of sort of collecting action figures um, to keep in a box would be a very foreign concept for my family. (laughs) So I actually, I didn't even get to reading comics until I went to college, but then I was able to sort of back everything back into the show. So it's it's kind of really amazing to discover Transformers again as an adult and be able to see it through sort of all these different lenses, both as a fan returning to it and an adult finding it for the first time and, and through the professional lenses and, you know, all sort of the inside industry lenses of, like, why why do choices get made? And why did they do that? And, you know, mm-hmm. what is actually the the best parts of shows? Like, for example, oh, my gosh, the best parts of Beast Wars is they were so smart with their rigging. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we know uh, you've been to BotCon last year. Have you been to BotCon previously before that? Yes, I, I have gone to BotCon before. Um when it was in Pasadena, but I tend to keep kind of a low profile. I, I actually wouldn't have done very much at all at BotCon because I just sort of feel like like no one sort of, I, I'm not that big. I'm not that big a name. So it's like, ah, oh, no one wants to talk to me. I'll just walk around BotCon. Um, <laughs> so it was it was a really fun experience because I'm just trying to walk around fans and I'm trying to pepper people with sort of, um, you know, kind of a, uh, writer subterfuge i'm like oh hey you like transformers who's your favorite character like how'd you get into them and people are like wait don't i know you from somewhere no i don't think you do um <laughs> yeah you're talking about 20 uh the back 2011 uh no, I, I, I've done it at uh, this past BotCon, so it would have been BotCon 2013. I was stalking the floor. Oh, okay. Um, it was actually really funny because someone was had this really great um, Ratchet cosplay, and I really wanted to get my picture taken with them because I'm like, oh, i got to get a picture with Ratchet because, you know, I wrote Stronger Faster, and I love writing Ratchet. And I went up to them, and I was like, hey, can I get my picture? And they're like, actually, we're really busy right now, so we're going to go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And I hated to do it, but I was like, um, I wrote your character. And it was like, oh, hey, yeah, you can get your picture. (laughs) So I only whip that card out when I have to. (laughs) Well, it might be a little bit harder. If you go back to BotCon this year, it might be a little bit harder to keep a low profile with with all the stuff you've got going on now. Yeah, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Dang. What's the worst thing about working for IDW? The the worst thing about working for IDW? Yeah. Um, I I'm really bad at secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but you find out about too much stuff and you can't talk. Exactly. Like I just it's I I I'm a writer. I want to tell everyone all all the stories. You know, I would just if I had a panel, I would just sit there and just talk about stories all day long. Like, oh, I thought about doing this story. I thought about doing that story, and you know, and and you kind of want to. And, and you can't because you guys aren't there yet, but I want you to be there. Yeah, it's like know, living in the future. I know. I was seeing, um, I think it was Josh Perez was tweeting about he was working on Dark Cybertron number 11. I'm like, why do you even say stuff like that? <laughs> I know. I know. 
And I'm sitting there and it's like, I'll be writing and I'll want to tweet something like, oh, I know someone will find this funny. Like, and then it's like, oh, no, wait, they won't yet. <laughs> okay. I swear I'm going to get one of those like Twitter scheduling programs and like set it for like six months. Like, <laughs> and like retroactively live tweet. <laughs> then you'll be like on the va- on vacation and then you'll just suddenly get all these tweets and you're like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> exactly. But then everyone will know it's inside my head and no one will want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> no, nah, I think people will want to talk to you even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you come to my apartment, you can at least listen to me making a whole bunch of like, when I was writing Dinobots, that was the best thing. I felt so bad for my husband because I'd be sitting there typing and then I'd just start making weird dinosaur sounds. Like, <laughs> try and figure out how to spell it. So just be like, click, 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 click. <laughs> Mm, that sounds like it's got a K in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, Jeremy was a fan of your uh, onomatopoeia in the uh, in Beast Hunters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. And I tried. Mike and I tried so very hard to keep that consistent. That's yeah. there's a spoiler for Windblade. I'm already starting my dictionary for like. Okay, this is the sound this weapon makes. This is the sound <laughs> this ignition makes. Well, if if I could put a re- request, get a crackoom in there. Um, Crackoom? Yeah. yeah. Crackoom's awesome. That's Mike, but Crackoom's awesome. <laughs> Somewhere. I'll do it just for you. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> what do you write in? I actually write in, um, I write in Word, and then obviously for television, I write in Final Draft. I know you can write comics in Final Draft, but I find um, I use formatting as a way to rewrite so I'll like go through and I'll just type whatever I'm doing. And then I'll, as I'm formatting, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I don't want to say that. Maybe I don't. So it's like, it's a nice way to, uh, to get a little mini rewrite in as I'm working. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, pressing enter, pressing delete, pressing enter, pressing delete. <laughs> and aside from telling somebody to practice and write and write and write until their fingers bleed, what, what, what advice would you give somebody that's a writer or wants to be a writer? Um, is there a good book you always reference? Is there... There are good books out there. Um, there's a really good book that I love called Power of the Playwright's Vision um, by Gordon Farrell, which mm-hmm. breaks down uh, different structures of plays from, like, you know, ancient Greece to modern day. But, like, how does the structure actually translate? So, like, you know, um, I think there's, like, a great example of, like, nine months is a great example of neoclassicism and humor um or south park is actually um structured the same as as a a type of roman comedy that you didn't see for like a thousand years Mm. um there's also i've heard good things about save the cat i've not made it all the way through um they in school they made me read aristotle's poetics every twice a year every year for four years um I think the most important thing is watch classic television, especially if you want to write television or write comics, um, because they do a really good job of telling very clear, strong stories that don't get bogged down in a lot of stuff. Um, and you really want to learn how to tell a basic story well uh-huh. before you start trying to tell your, you know, like your version of, uh, Magnolia. Yeah. Exactly. So like watch original Star Trek, watch Twilight Zone. Like also too, if if you start do work 
commercially in television, like those concepts come up again and again and again. Um, and a lot of those shows, you know, even things like Lassie and stuff, I mean, those shows are made on the cheap. Cheers. Cheers. Fantastic comedy still plays well today. There are three sets in Cheers. Cheers cost nothing to make. And and that's a huge that's a huge concern for writers. You always have to think about how much does this cost? I mean, that's the reason that Sarah Connor Chronicles got cut and Dollhouse didn't, you know? Like they cost the same amount of money. One was made in-house, one was made out of house. So one got another season and one didn't. Mm. Like cost is always always a factor and and with comics honestly i still say watch good television because you're going to see the same kind of structure with comics but it's there's going to be more art laid over it and more artistry so you still got to learn to say that do that same basic structure um whereas sometimes in comics i feel like if you just learn from comics because there's more artistry you can end up as as a newer reader or a newer writer you can get a little bit lost in the artistry you know there's so much back and forth between the writer and the artist and without an artist like you don't have that same um you're not privy to that same discussion so it can be a little tougher to dissect them although now that people are are publishing the scripts that's that certainly makes things easier what's uh What's the last good book you've read? The last good book I've read. Um, gosh. I've been, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been reading a lot of trash recently. Um, I'm reading a book right now that I really like called God is Disappointed in You. Um, <laughs> it's it's a, an uplifting tale. <laughs> New York Times, one of the New York Times guys, uh, abbreviating the Bible. Um <laughs> It's a very humorous walkthrough uh, mm-hmm. what the Bible actually says. Um, <laughs> so it's it's certainly funnier than Sunday school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've been reading a lot of comics, so uh, gotta get back to the novels. Okay, thanks. So uh, let's let's get into uh, all the stuff you've done with the, the Transformers Prime show and comic. Uh, so just how did you get into writing as a career and onto the Transformers Prime TV show? Okay. Well, I actually studied um, television writing in college. I actually have a degree in, you know, technically it's dramatic writing, concentration in television. Um, It's a real degree. (laughs) Costs a lot more money than you think. Um, But I, I always knew that I wanted to write cartoons. And so I worked in production and, and I knew the line producer on Transformers Prime, Therese Trujillo, uh, from working on another show. And she called me up and she was like, oh, my gosh, I have this show that you would be perfect for. It's sci-fi. It's going to require a lot of continuity, tons of research. It's about robots. And I was like, wait, is this Transformers? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so I got hired as the uh, the writer's assistant. And then they started letting me pitch ideas. And uh, very gratefully, um, Dwayne Capizzi listened to several ideas eventually liked a couple and um sort of took me under his wing and and the whole show took me under their wing and and really let me get my feet on the ground cool so uh so you've worked with transformers prime you've also worked with the rescue bots so how how what in your mind how do you envision rescue bots compared to transformers prime like how do they fit together or how do you uh you know what do you see that's different about working there than working on uh on transformers prime as a prime writer, Rescue Bots is such a blessing. Um, 
I, I love Transformers Prime, but there are so many things to juggle and everything is really serious and the action is really tough. And then you go to Rescue Bots and they're like, well, we want you to think about flying lobsters. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I can do that. <laughs> All right. And so I actually, it's, it's funny, you know, um, we make a joke in Transformers Prime about how there's so little humor in Transformers Prime. There's that great moment where Jack turns to Optimus and he's like, hey, Optimus, do you want to see something funny? And Optimus is like, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but on Rescue Bots, you can actually play a lot of that banter and, and back and forth. And so it's just, it, it was a really nice way to sort of be able to flex a, a different muscle, but in still sort of the same general wheelhouse. Okay. Um, of course, my Rescue Bots episode still at the bottom of the sea and I, I think I almost drowned Cody if I remember correctly. And <laughs> so probably not the most lighthearted rescue bots episode, but they knew what they were getting into. Well, if you got to rescue someone, they have to be in mortal danger, right? So <laughs> exactly on the, the writing aspect for prime and, and rescue bots, you mentioned uh, writing for um, rescue bots, but was there a, um, a pitch that you had made for, for prime that, that made it to the, to the screen that you can tell us about? Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, because I was in the room, a lot of times when you're freelancing on a show, um, you'll get the idea, give it to you. You know, um, the, the idea will be generated in-house. But because Prime had such a tight core of writers and because I was in the room all three seasons um, with my day job, I was able to actually pitch a lot of shows. So, for example, um, so Stronger Faster was a pitch that I'd done. And... Um, Hurt was a pitch that I'd done that I'm still really surprised that they let me do. Um, um, and Chain of Command, I believe that was like half me, half someone else. Season three was a little odd because we knew we had a truncated season. So we actually had all the beats broken out for the, like all the episodes for the entire season done before we started writing any of the season. Okay. So that was just one big giant group thing, you know, and it was sort of who wanted to lay claim to what. Cool. All right. It so. is cool. But, you know, in a weird way, it's kind of like sometimes it's like sitting at the Christmas table, you know, you, you want the mashed potatoes, you know, they want the mashed potatoes. And you're sort of like, no, I want the mashed potatoes. And it's like, no, I do. Like, oh, OK. Um, <laughs> I'll just take the green beans. Like, fortunately, it's Transformers Prime. So everything's. <laughs> literarily delicious um <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's no lima beans on the table anywhere no there's no hey. lima beans on transformers Prime. lima beans are awesome you know they do get a bad rap when i finally <laughs> ate lima beans as an adult i was like this is you've been just maligned cook them in lots of butter <laughs> well that's not fair that's just saying butter's awesome but. well i'm from the south we cook everything in butter <laughs> So uh, were you involved in any of the character choices for the show on Transformers Prime? Like uh, one example that sticks out for me is that, you know, making Wheeljack one of the wreckers on the show where, you know, there were a bunch of other, you know, wrecker characters to choose from. But And, you know, I was just curious about how that process gets done. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I am... Uh... I'm still pretty low man on the totem pole in the writing world. Um, so I don't tend to get the say on we should do this character or that character. In general, how this kind of 
thing works when you're dealing with a, a franchise show is um, characters will either come at the start of the season, you'll be talking with the brand, you'll sit down with Hasbro and they'll say, you know, we want to make a push with XYZ character. You know, they'll give you a list of, ideally, they give you a list of characters that they would like you to include. You say we can include, you know, this person would work well, this person would work well. And then the other thing is that if you have characters uh, appear, um, naturally, you want to introduce a new character. You'll go to the brand and say, hey, we have an idea for a new character. They're like this, you know, X, Y, Z do you have any characters that match that description or do you have any characters that you want to tweak to match that description? Um, And so that's the general back and forth uh, that you have with, with any sort of um, company. And there can be a whole host of reasons why you can or can't use characters. You know, that it can be as, as small as just, Oh, well, you know, we, don't want to like you know there's another character with that name now that is really popular in marvel so we used to have a character named that but we don't want to name them that anymore or you know no we're really trying to push this person where they're going to have a big toy so you know we really want to go with them but there's it's 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 really where the art meets the business um aspect of cartoons okay uh how did you get involved with with ashley Eckstein or Eckstein and and the her universe project you know we saw all the YouTube videos for the year of the fangirl where she interviewed a bunch of people on the Transformers Prime uh, a show. So, And I think you, you initiated that. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Well, yes. Uh, I saw their year of the fangirl thing. And, and, you know, one of the weird things that had been happening to me a lot as I was promoting, you know, Rage and, and the comic books was just there was this really big assumption among a lot of people that you know, Transformers just had nothing to do with, with women, you know? And it really surprised me because there were all these wonderful women working on Transformers and, and I really like the female characters in Transformers. And so I reached out to Ashley and I was like, Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, doing a series of interviews of, of professional fangirls? And she liked the idea and Hasbro liked the idea. And so we, we tried to do it as best we can. It is my first and last foray into live action production. <laughs> I have no patience for that. <laughs> oh, so there, there was a lot of production behind the scenes because those videos were relatively short, you know, four or five minutes, but I guess there was a lot behind the scenes getting those together. Well, for me, cause I'm a writer and, <laughs> <laughs> and the marketing team was like, you know, uh, was like, that's a great idea. Like let us, you know, they're like, that's a great idea. Mary Good luck with that. I was like, Oh, Okay. And <laughs> first I thought it was just going to be interviews and it kept getting bigger and bigger. And the next thing I know, I'm like pulling every string I have to, to everyone I know in, in, in video production. Fortunately, this is Los Angeles. So I knew a lot of people. Um, oh, wow. So if you do publish this and Sam Rhodes is listening, thanks, Sam. You really saved me. <laughs> Sam and Meg. Awesome. <laughs> cool. But yeah, no, that was, that was really fun. I, I, it's exactly I know some people talk sometimes about having an agenda when you work. And, and I really feel like the only agenda I bring to my work is that I, I want everyone to like Transformers. I love Transformers. I want everyone else in the world to feel like they can love Transformers as much as I do. We, James and John do great work. They should, our books should be doing saga numbers, you know, like if you love saga, you should be reading more than meets the eye. And, and I will do everything in my power to, give 
fans every possible chance to feel welcome in this brand. And and hopefully those little interviews and, and Windblade and everything like that will we'll be able to do it. Great. I, I think we feel the same way. So uh, what do you see are the major differences between writing for a TV show versus a comic book? Well, it's it's funny. I kind of joke that writing a comic book is like writing a TV show in haiku um, <laughs> because a TV show and especially a Transformers TV show is all about movement. You you never want to have characters just standing around talking each other, with each other. You always want something visually interesting on screen. If they can be talking while they're driving or climbing or fighting or, or anything, have them do anything other than just be standing, talking, no static image. Um, but with comics, all you have are static images. So you're trying to convey that same sense of movement, but trying to pick out, you know, what is the most important moment that conveys um, this fight or this punch. Uh, so in a way, your artist becomes that much more important and working with them becomes that much more important so that you properly convey the sense that, you know, you're distilling a, a five minute fight scene down into a page or a page and a half. Okay. So do you do you work back and forth with the artist on the comic book, and you or do you just write the whole script and just hand it off to the artist? Well, um, Prime and Beast Hunters are uh, we did write the whole script, and and fortunately I was able to work with Mike, who has you know vast experience in writing comics. So those are actually the full script is written, and the artist uh, draws that. You see the the rough pencils, and you. Um, you know, are able to give notes and tweaks and stuff. And, and because the lettering is the last thing that gets done, you can also shift what people are saying when, or shift some people's dialogue to better accommodate the art. So you still get that back and forth movement, but on sort of a more digital scale, I guess. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And just to, to get into the, the comic, you know, both rage of the Dinobots and beast hunters, uh, we were, we were enjoying the series and we were, we were disappointed when it got canceled. Um, you know, how much more did you have scripted out for the series? Did like, how many, how many more plots had you, had you uh, worked out? Well, it's funny. We, we actually, we hadn't scripted anything out, but we were right at the point where I was starting to generate what, you know, just in my own head canon, what I wanted to have happen. Okay. Um, so there, there was nothing like, it, it's not like we were cut out at the knees where I, we had scripts being written or proposals being written for IDW and that they shelved. It was, um, it was right at the point where we were going to start generating those ideas. I mean, there were definitely threads that I wanted to keep going in prime. I had what I thought was a really fun sound wave idea that I just, I tell people in bars now, cause I'm just like, <laughs> I never got to write this sound wave story. <laughs> Well, could you tell us right here? <laughs> Allow me to interrupt for a moment to warn you that the next section of the interview contains many spoilers for the end of the Transformers Prime Beast Hunters TV show and comic and the movie Predacons Rising. If you haven't had a chance to see or read them and don't want to be spoiled, please skip ahead to time 59 minutes and 30 seconds, where we start the Windblade discussion. Thanks. Sure. Well, I really wanted to do, um, I really wanted to do a story where, cause you know, at the end of Predacons Rising, Megatron has seen sort of the error of his ways and, and he goes off to, you know, be peaceful 
for as long as Megatron can maintain that. Um, and I wanted to have this idea that, uh, you know, Autobots and Decepticons are starting to come back to Earth. They have all this population and they're starting to see these broadcasts of Megatron, but it's not Unicron Megatron. It's like old cut footage and spliced footage of um, like Megatron speeches during the war and Megatron like gladiatorial comments and, and things like that. And the Autobots are essentially trying to hunt this hunt down like this rogue what they think are a rogue group of Decepticons. And they realize that the Decepticons are being rallied by Soundwave, who because he's in the shadow zone, has basically been a ghost in the machine and has been trailing them the entire time. So basically every time they make a plan to catch these Decepticons, they don't realize it, but Ghost Soundwave is right over their shoulder. And then he communicates because we set up in, in the episode Shadow Zone that, you know, certain electronic signals can cross over. He is able to communicate that to these sort of um, ragtag group of Decepticons that are then always one step ahead of the Autobots. Oh, okay. So it was really cool. That would have been an awesome show or an awesome book. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. But all the things that end up on the cutting room floor, you yeah. know, I, I definitely, I had, a, I was like, Oh my gosh, Grimlock's got to take over the, the Decepticon spaceship. And it was going to be like a sort of like their version of like the shield helicarrier. And, you know, it, are the Decepticons trying to sow tension between the Predacons and the Autobots, like to get them to fight. And, and of course, we still had Arachnid, you know, on the moon with yeah. her army of the undead. That would have been so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, I'm just a fangirl now. It is just headcanon for me. Well, you can always just start writing fanfic. <laughs> yes, I can. I can always do that. If you see an usually specific fanfiction start <laughs> cropping up on the Internet, it's not me. Um, <laughs> So uh, just getting into how you how you wrote the comic. So uh, you mentioned that that Mike Johnson basically uh, was your, I guess, kind of your your guide into getting into the comics, and you you collaborated with him on Rage of the Dinobots. But then for uh, for Beast Hunters, each of you both wrote uh, your own separate story arcs, kind of independently. So so which which method uh, do you think worked out better for you, or, or which one did you prefer? You know. That's kind of tough to say. It's it's a little bit apples and oranges. Um, you know, one of the reasons we, I guess, professionally going two on two off was really great for me because it, it presented a really unique challenge to, you know, get a, a little taste of writing on my own or writing more independently. Um, and we also just did it, frankly, uh, because of scheduling, you know, Mike and I were both really busy and we, we really wanted to keep the series going. And, and that just made the most sense to be able to write essentially simultaneously and, and build things up. Um, but it is, it is still nice to, to really get in the guts of a story with someone. Um, so it's just, just, you know, it's just two different ways to do things. Okay. So uh, how did you and Mike Johnson come up with the personalities for the Dinobots? Uh, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people have been interested in this because before the Dinobots didn't really have, a, you know, other than Grimlock and, and maybe Swoop, they didn't get fleshed out a whole lot. So uh, I think in your series, Sludge and Snarl got, got a bit of the spotlight where they hadn't before. So how did you come up with their personalities? Yes, well, that was actually, that was... So much fun. Um, well, first, we wanted to think of the Dinobots as um, 
a functional military unit. You know, the whole point of their origin in the aligned universe is that they're a commando unit. So we're like, they have to have different skill sets and different skill sets naturally lead to different personalities. Um, you don't send a team out that's supposed to operate on its own and they're all big, dumb bruiser guys. That team is not really going to make it back. Um, so we tried to think like, okay, well, who's the logistics expert, who's the tech expert, who's, you know, the heavy. And as we started talking their characters out, you know, you start fleshing out kind of who are these gruff guys? What kind of guys can actually follow Grimlock? You know, <laughs> who's hanging out with Grimlock in, you know, all his sort of like Grimlockiness and being <laughs> like, yes, let's keep doing this. I will follow you. Smash. And so everyone sort of developed from there. And I, I really wanted, it's funny, especially Sludge. Sludge is my favorite. Um, and I felt so bad because it seemed like Sludge had gotten no development, you know? And mm -hmm. and also that Sludge had had really just been stepped on. I mean, like, he he's, like, left for dead, like, in the game. And, you know, uh, he, he sort of is kind of the first one to go a lot of times. And so I really wanted to make Sludge just someone that the audience would fall in love with. I, I wanted Sludge to be just a really good guy. <laughs> yeah, I also like the, you know, the idea that he's kind of a field medic that that made him added another dimension to him as well. Yeah, I know. It was great. And then I love Snarl just being just super. It's really nice because in a way, Snarl and Slug are both really pessimistic, but snarl is actually pessimistic and slug is more just crotchety you really got to have someone you got to have the crotchety old guy on the team <laughs> you just do they're so much fun did you go back to maybe the the g1 character bios to to like start off with it and then build on top of that or did you just start fresh for all of them well we definitely went through and we researched a lot of different ways that they'd been presented um, but the most important thing for us, because we were supposed to be in continuity with the video game, is like we I played that game for hours, hours and hours and hours, and just trying to hit on any little piece of dialogue that they had. You know, there's a a back and forth with Slug and Grimlock about whether or not cutting through Insecticons is like cutting through beryllium bologna or cesium salami. And like that right. really is like, okay, so that's the kind of guy this is. He's the kind of guy that in the middle of a fight is going to be arguing with you about which fake alien lunch meat killing these Decepticons <laughs> reminds him of. Yeah, right on. One thing, uh, and, and you know, is because uh, I guess the series had uh, a little bit weaker sales than, than were expected, do you think maybe the how they titled the series might have made a difference. Like the, the series really was a focus on the Dinobots, but I got the sense at least, you know, they called it Transformers Prime Beast Hunters and a lot of the covers featured characters from the show, but they weren't really in actually in the comic. But I mean, I think there's a lot of love out there for the Dinobots. So do you think maybe if they had marketed it more as, you know, the comic that focuses on the Dinobots, it might've, it, it might've done a little better. That's a question that only the fates can answer. Um, <laughs> we really try, you know, like I, I think they're great stories. And, and as a writer, all you can do is take the situation that you're given and 
you know, try and craft the best possible stories you can out of it. The the marketing and everything like that is is half chance and half skill. So hopefully you bring the skill and the chance meets you halfway. Right. To be fair, though, I mean, Rage did really well. Uh, that was not uh, we would have liked to have gotten an ongoing out of it, but we in no way expected them to give us an ongoing. So I don't think of Transformers Beast Hunters as being, um, you know, less issues than I wanted. I think of Transformers Beast Hunters as being a lot more issues than I expected when I started writing comics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I guess that then that goes back to my point because the the miniseries was called Rage of the Dinobots, so people knew, hey, this is the Dinobots, and uh, you know, that's I guess I don't know. It it seems like it, you know, if if people were more aware that that the Beast Hunters comic was was still focusing on the Dinobots, it might have it might have carried more of those those readers forward. But I, I I don't know. Like you said, it's just speculation. But don't we love speculation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> we've got we've got a lot to to, to we we've been speculating a bit on on the end of the of the series. So uh, we wanted to ask just a couple of questions and. I guess we know that uh, Mike Johnson wrote the last two issues, so maybe you might not know uh, exactly uh, where he was going in his particular story. But we just noticed in in the last two issues of Beast Hunters, uh, some of the characters, uh, uh, some of the supporting characters, uh, at least, it, it just seemed like they didn't get as satisfying a, a conclusion as we wanted. Like uh, like the characters you introduced, Firestar and Chromia, kind of disappeared in those last two issues. Uh, do, do you know what? Like I guess what happened there or were there scenes that got cut? Well, you know, to be fair, um, I, it's just, it's really, it's a huge cast. Yeah. I mean, just the Dinobots and having to meet the Autobots and putting a story on top of that and putting a story for, you know, these minor characters is you really have to prioritize who's going to get how much page space. And, and as much as I love Firestar and Chromia, you know, I, I in no way, think that they're top of the list right you know um it 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 had to be a great story about the dinobots and it had to include the prime characters and and even some other characters like ultra magnus um you know just he's so injured at the end of predacons rising it would take so much page base like did he recover how did he recover how does he feel about them that it i think it just became like you do you really want to spend your last two issues sort of wrapping up continuity or do you want to spend i think mike really wanted to spend the last two issues giving as as heartfelt and emotional conclusion as he could instead of um just tying in so you know you don't want to do the as great as they are um you don't want to do the the lord of the rings thing where it's fade to black and then fade to black and then fade to white <laughs> and then cut to black and then four endings later the movie actually ends um <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate mail for saying that. <laughs> but seriously, though, I, I saw it. I, I had to use the bathroom. They faded to black. And I was like, yes, what? Okay, I'll sit down. Yes. Oh, okay, come on. I've got to use the bathroom. <laughs> you have to wonder how many people left the theater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but see, now I know. If they do that at the end of Hobbit, I'll know. It's like now when you watch a superhero movie and people walk out during the credits and you're like, are you dumb? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you, but you know, 
on the on the flip side of that, the people who had read the Lord of the Rings books were like, "Where's the scouring of the Shire? You took out the scouring <laughs> of the Shire, you know." So you can't please anybody. <laughs> no, that's the first thing you learn <laughs> as a writer is you cannot please anyone. <laughs> uh, so just to, um so we know at the end of uh, of the Beast Hunters comic, it's synced up with with the show and what happened uh, with Predacons Rising, where. Uh, you know, Optimus Prime sacrificed himself to to restore the planet, but you know it's it's funny because Beast Hunters had a much darker spin on that. You know, on the show, it's all happy. You know, we reignited the planet; everyone's happy. But in the comic, basically, there's lots and lots of unintended consequences. And yes, and actually, the the original draft of that script was even darker. Um, and I think I showed like the first draft to my husband and he's like, okay, Margaret, this is too dark. <laughs> he's like to just dial it back a little or people are going to be cutting wrists. Darker than, than wiping out everyone in last spark. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I, I toyed briefly with the idea that because he believed that the world was ending snarl might start triaging the people that were injured oh wow um and then you get to the surface and you find out the world's not ending (laughs) (laughs) but that seemed uh, a little over the line um so you know that's what good spouses and good editors are for (laughs) to to rein you back in (laughs) um but yes i do recognize that it does sort of cast a little bit of a a pall over the the great moment that ended Transformers Prime, but quite frankly, I couldn't think of a better way to do it. And it seemed sort of really fitting because the whole series was about sort of facing this inevitable end. I I kind of felt like emotionally the Dinobots needed to actually face the end, like head on face the end um, in order to sort of free themselves for a new beginning. Like I, I, I really felt like, I feel like, if we'd just seen Energon flow and, you know, everything had been great, it it had just been a perfect moment for the Dinobots, it really wouldn't have allowed them to transition as characters and develop as characters in a way that, you know, would let them finally integrate back in with Team Prime and and own themselves um, when faced with sort of the powerhouses that Team Prime brings. Okay. Yeah, and and just to to carry on with that, one thing that I think we were expecting near, uh, you know, in, in the last issue when they finally meet up was that the Dinobots might be a little upset with you know with the Team Prime guys for you know basically uh, you know killing a lot of their friends, but that that didn't really get explored. Do you, do you think you would have gone into that to, had you had a, a few more issues? I, I, if we'd kept on going, I think so. But I think also there's a certain point where I mean, what do you? what are you going to do? Like, you know, are are you going to be mad at the Autobots for doing this? They didn't know you were here. You know, you were living underground. You didn't know they were here. Um, But it definitely, I mean, you never give up conflict, Mm -hmm. never give up conflict. um, If the story's going. So I'm sure someone would have had a grudge about that. Okay. We did see uh, on IMDb, there's a rumor of a new Transformers prime TV movie in the works that supposedly was coming out in 2015. I don't know if that, if that is even real or maybe just a, you know, someone is trolling. I got no comment on that. So, um, 
Yeah, I can't help you there. Okay. <laughs> I know the people that you can, you know. You know what? The next time we're at a convention, if any people are working on the show, I will point them out to you and you can ply them with drinks and they can say too much about things. <laughs> but I wipe my are hands with this. So uh, let's, uh, I think we'll we'll end the, the Transformers Prime discussion with just the, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the, the open plot points with Soundwave and Arachnid and uh, can you just, uh, can I just ask you a couple of, uh, a couple of threads that we we thought about and maybe just you know give a briefer uh you know a brief uh answer about you know what you thought where you thought you you might have gone with them can we fanboy out yeah oh, no one's fanboy <laughs> although i'm going to fan i'm going to fan girl out first okay <laughs> because i feel i have gotten so much like you know oh no like blackout we didn't get to see what happened with blackout and I feel like I have to defend that, like, no, that I ended Blackout that way specifically. Like, <laughs> everyone I know who has read the books are like, oh, you see Blackout, you don't see him die, and then you just hear about him die, like, off panel. Like, and it's like, that that's supposed to be the whole point of that story. It's they're waiting for the hope that will never come. It's tragic. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but I failed, so... <laughs> I'm using your podcast as as a as my own little soapbox. Readers, if you go back and read, you know they're waiting for for help from Last Spark, and and then we as readers know that there is no help coming from Last Spark, and so there seemed it's it was I was trying to be graceful. All right, <laughs> uh, that's fine. We did we did have that on our list, so it's good that you you volunteered that up front. <laughs> okay. It's my feeling as a writer, clearly. But every review, I was like, "Man, I was trying to be graceful." <laughs> All right, so yeah, so just we'll, uh, as as Yoshi said, we'll fanboy out a little bit here. Um, so uh, one of one of the things is that uh, since you know it's Beast Hunters is trying to push the the Predacon toys, but we didn't really see a lot of them, you know, in the comics. So would would you have? introduce the uh, you know the predacons as a kind of a third faction and what the, you know how they reacted to the dinobots and autobots and decepticons oh yeah well i mean we i mean one of my favorite fight scenes i've ever written is the the circuit fight you know like robots fighting dragons is just awesome how can you not have that <laughs> um in fact it was that was the thing i was sort of turning in my mind over and over again it's like okay so the predacons are going to be this third faction how do we get them to fight the dinobots <laughs> i know a lot of people were waiting for that predaking grimlock fight oh yeah that would have been awesome but see, it's it's hard though. We would have had to think of something. Soundwave would have had to have succeeded in driving some kind of wedge between them, you know, mm -hmm. to to get them to attack each other. Because at the end, everyone's sort of cool with each other. But yeah, that would have been because you know what it would have been. It would have been a Predacon attacking, you know, the Decepticon warship with Grimlock on board. So you would have had like shooting, crashing spaceship and Dragon T Rex fight on top of it. <laughs> So many Man. splash pages. <laughs> yeah, that just oozes awesome. <laughs> well, speaking of Grimlock, I mean, since Optimus Prime was basically gone, there's a bit of a like a you know a power vacuum for the Autobots. Do do you think he would have? I mean, and we saw Grimlock had kind of mixed feelings about leading the rest of the Autobots who were still on Cybertron. Do you think he would have 
tried to step up or, or, you know, still have some kind of leadership position or even become the de facto Autobot leader? Well, Grimlock's never going to escape, you know, a certain amount of leadership. But I think if if Transformers Beast Hunters proved anything, it was that Grimlock is is actually not the best leader in terms of peacetime. <laughs> um, and I think that sort of um, I really wanted to have Grimlock kind of face that being king really comes at a high cost. And that although he does want to keep leading his people, I feel like, you know, leading the whole planet isn't necessarily um, something that I think he would have gone after. I think it would have been really interesting if his faction had pressed for Grimlock to become the de facto leader of all the Autobots and he doesn't want it. Like that would have been interesting. Okay. Um, but it's sort of like, you know, the, the relationship that Starscream has in R.I.D. where he's, you know, the leader of Cybertron, but he's sort of the dog that, that caught the car. What do you do with it now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we mentioned uh, Arachnid and, you know, her, her legion of, you know, vampire insecticons. Do you, do you have any ideas what you would have done with that, with, with them? Straight up honest, I have no idea how it have brought them back. It would have been a really cool issue, but it would have had to have been like something super dark, like a sort of like uh, like thirty days of night kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because when uh when I read the uh, the first two issues of Beast Hunters and you know the Dinobots were investigating how all these bodies were drained of Energon and that sh- that episode had just aired on TV and I thought that that was you know that was going to happen that was going to turn up in the comic like that was there was some connection oh, that would have been there. Cool. But, uh, yeah, so, um, but, you know, still, I, I, th- I thought the, the twist with Airwave was also, you know, uh, and it, it introduced all the characters in the comic. So that was good too. <laughs> yeah. And the idea of cannibalism. So I just want to <laughs> give that to the kids too. Um, can't go wrong there. Kids, um, sometimes you just have to eat your friends. <laughs> so, uh, with Megatron, uh, you know, kind of giving up his, uh, his role as a tyrant, how long would that have really have lasted? I, you know, I think he probably would have, you know, would have come back to that eventually. I mean, and especially with his brand new upgraded body and everything. Probably, but it's it's so hard to have Megatron without Optimus. Yeah, you know, like for any length of time. So, like that, that would have been that's a tough thing. It's it's very hard when you have half of sort of a yin yang pairing. Do you think he would have, uh, you know, taken the name Galvatron since that's, that's, it's very similar to what happened in the 86 movie where Unicron kind of upgrades his body and he, you know, he, he's yes. And that actually was an intentional reference on our part um, to the idea of Galvatron, but we just didn't know why he would suddenly change his name. Like Unicron didn't think enough of Megatron to, you know, want to be like, we're, we're one. So we're going to get a new name and, Megatron didn't particularly enjoy Unicron possessing him, so it seemed like he wouldn't necessarily give themselves a new name. Um, so yeah, no, we did. That is a deliberate thing. So we were sitting around. And it's like, oh, it's just like Galvatron. Oh, well, should we call him Galvatron? Uh, why would they call themselves Galvatron now? And it just, <laughs> so we just were like, you know what? Let's just keep it clean, and you know, he'll be he'll be Megatron. Okay. Or Unicron, or Unitron, as Smokescreen <laughs> points out. <laughs> Um, so Shockwave was, was still around at the end of Predacons Rising, but he, he never made it in, into the comic. So I'm sure the Dinobots would still, you know, they still had a grudge against Shockwave. So would, would that have come into play too? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I, 
I know we would have saved it for a little bit. It's it's I know it's one of the reasons why we didn't have a big shockwave fight at the last two issues. I didn't want it to seem like the Dinobots only exist in relation to Shockwave. Okay. Um, we wanted them to to seem like you know they they were standing on their own two feet as as characters, but you know it's like Batman and Joker. Like eventually, you know they're gonna have to come into conflict. Plus, plus Shockwave out there, you could have gotten more Predacons, or you still can if twenty years from now they decide to start writing these comics again. <laughs> Feel free, future writer. Shockwave's out there. <laughs> and uh, another Decepticon, a knockout. So. He's actually switched sides to the Autobots. Would there have been some continuing uh, conflict or drama there? Or do you think he would have? Oh, isn't that great? I miss <laughs> Knockout so much. Yeah, he was a great character. and uh, I don't know how, but if he somehow gets into like IDW-verse or, or some other verse, like that would be so awesome. <laughs> I just, I, I freaking love Knockout. <laughs> he's so perfect. Knockout would have been great against the Dinobots because he's so vain and that is the absolute last thing they care about (laughs) can you just imagine him on like a ship with all the dinobots (laughs) just sort of a disgusting roommate kind of situation (laughs) yeah he's he's definitely you know he's he's all about uh appearance and and uh form rather than function so the dinobots would not have uh not have gotten along with him i imagine which by the way i loved how in predacons rising even though he switches sides his first instinct is still always, always, always to protect himself. Um, <laughs> anything that jumps out, everyone pulls out a weapon and shoots at it, you know, and knockout first instinct. I'm, I'm stepping back. My finishes go okay. <laughs> it's like the rogue in a D&D party. I'm going to get out of this alive. <laughs> uh, I can't. I think it might have been on uh, on the underbase review of the last issue, but I think uh, one of the guys there suggested that uh, Knockout get a yellow paint job and start calling himself Sunstreaker, and that's the origin of Sunstreaker. <laughs> that's not that bad. Uh, so it's certainly a flashy enough name for him. <laughs> uh, so I think we've we've gone through everything. I guess the last thing uh, that we wanted to mention was a Star Scream. So you know, at the end of Predacons Rising, it looks like Predaking is is going. To, oh, uh, sorry. There's a there's one more after that, but. For, um, so Starscream, uh, is about to get attacked by Predaking and, and maybe possibly killed, but do you think he would have gone on and caused more trouble? Oh, of course. Um, cause I think it's, it'd be so much more enjoyable as the audience. Well, I mean, obviously in the show, you, you never destroy an asset when you can help it. That's why, you know, we killed Breakdown and we still kept his model going. Um, <laughs> cause they're just so precious. Um, but I mean, why kill Starscream when you can make Starscream grovel in front of you like an animal, the way he treated you? <laughs> oh, that that's a good point. Yeah, so he would he would have uh, been serving the, serving the Predacons, uh, you know, wine and grapes or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so now this is our real last question. So this is more about the humans. Uh, so at, at the end of the of the Prime TV show, it looked like uh, uh, Jack's mom and and Agent Fowler seemed to have a bit of a connection. So do, do you think they would have had a you know some kind of future relationship or even wedding bells? Now that I cannot tell, but I I would certainly wish them the best as a couple. And <laughs> gosh, that's one heck of a way to meet a, a new dad. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be on their fishing trip, Jack and Fowler. 
Well, yeah, I mean, he was already suggesting, hey, he should, you know, put him in the army. And uh, he's, exactly. he's, he's, he looks like he could be a great leader. So, you know, should should get him enlisted. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So uh, th- thank, thanks for uh, for bearing with us uh, through the entire, uh, you know, Transformers Prime discussion and, and uh, you know, retrospective. So uh, I think now uh, all our listeners are probably, you know, screaming at us, come on, talk about Windblade, Windblade, what's going on with that? So I think we're going to move on. And, uh, yeah, so on Christmas Day, IDW, uh, you know, gave us this great uh, Christmas present where they released a sneak peek about a new Transformers comic coming in April. And that's written by you and art by Sarah Stone. And this is featuring the the fan-created character Windblade and also the, the tagline Dawn of the Autobots. So what what can you tell us about the project? Yeah, well, it's going to be a, um, a four-issue miniseries with, uh, like you said, with myself and Sarah Stone. Um, it's it's actually, it takes place at the same time as Robots in Disguise and More Than Meets the Eye. Um, Dawn of the Autobots is, that's actually why they had, like, the Dawn of the Autobots banner. It's sort of like, um, you know, it was Dark Cybertron and then Dawn of the Autobots. So, Oh, okay. Um, it's a little bit more like how uh, remember after like Secret Invasion, Marvel like put banners over all of their comics to be like these are comics that were affected by Secret Invasion that are going on. Okay. Um, so we're not back in time or 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 a future story or or any kind of offshoot. We're we're right in the middle, coming out of um, the events of Dark Cybertron, just like the other two books. So Dawn of the Autobots is really just the arc that encompasses all the books. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, and we wanted to do that too. So that, yeah. So the people would realize that they were, we're sort of in step with each other, you know, and, and Windblade is going to be a very important character. You know, I mean, she's the fan made character. Um, IDW really wants to invest in her. And um, hopefully if this, if our four issues sell really well and they, you know, me and Sarah can move on as a team, but I'm sure that Windblade will continue to be a vital part of the IDW universe, even, you know, into the hands of, of other creative teams for, for a long time to come. Okay. So is there, is there anything you can tell us about her story? I know that I know dark Cybertron isn't even finished yet, so it's a little difficult to, to get into anything without spoiling things. Uh, but uh, you know, just, is there anything you can tell us about her? (laughs) It's so tough. I was literally, this is like one of those, like NSA documents where it's so redacted that there's just like a it, you know, <laughs> and then just like sheets and sheets of blacked out information. Um, well, uh, Windblade, I guess there are some things I can say. Obviously, the the story is is going to be focused on her. It's not exclusively her. Uh, there's going to be characters that you know and love from from IDW. Um, just like sort of our ideas focus on Bumblebee and, and his group, Windblade is going to be focused on Windblade and her group. Obviously, Starscream, surprise, surprise, somehow manages to come out of Dark Cybertron with his, you know, hide intact. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, we will take place on what uh, what is left of Cybertron, depending on how much of it makes it through Dark Cybertron. Um, so we're very excited about that. Um Although I will say there are rumors that Windblade is a seeker and she is not a seeker. She does not have pre-existing um, a relationship with, with Starscream or with other characters. So okay. she, she is a, she presents a really 
it's such a rare opportunity to get a fresh character. And because we wanted to use this chance to give um, new readers an opportunity to, to sort of join us on Cybertron, um, we wanted to keep the idea that Windblade is a fresh character sort of viewing Cybertron with fresh eyes. So that, you know, what's new to her will be new to our readers um, or new readers so that they don't feel like they're, you know, um, that they have to know the, the, the long and storied history of Transformers. Okay. Um, I don't, uh, maybe this is too spoilerish, but is there any, can you give us any hints about why she has this kind of Kabuki uh, face paint? And I, I will say um, it, it, it's it's not actually Kabuki. Um, she's not like from Japan. She wasn't like an Autobot that landed in Japan or from like medieval Japan or anything like that. Um, but it does have a special meaning to her, and it, it does directly attribute to um, essentially one of her primary tasks. So when you meet her um, in the comics. Uh, you'll see sort of the the role that her her makeup and her markings play. Okay. I was just wondering, um, and you probably can't say this, but do you know if she would be one of the point one percenters? Like being that she is fairly unique. Um. Next question. <laughs> 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 no. Yeah. There's there's no way to yeah. to. I feel like there's no way to yes no that okay. without. I know they like to keep much, a lot so. of that. Uh, in, you know, close to the vest for other characters, but you know, I had to ask. Yeah, good try. <laughs> uh, have you actually seen a prototype of the Windblade toy? Yes, I have. I have seen a pro, pro- but I don't know how to describe it to you except that it looks like Windblade, and <laughs> I don't have enough, like you know, uh, toy descriptive language to tell you. It's it's a toy. It seems like a very nice toy. It looks like Windblade. Um, <laughs> You are killing Daryl right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll be buying it. Don't worry. Good. You're exactly. doing very it well. definitely looks like something you should buy. Um. Oh, I will. Perhaps even two or three. We haven't really seen the, the vehicle mode at all. I mean, does it look like a, a, a good, you know, plane? Oh, well, she's a, she's a VTOL jet. Oh. Um, I know there's a couple of designs floating around the internet, uh, but they did give her a little bit of the futuristic thing, which I actually really like, which um, yeah. she has these sort of open turbines okay. on her wings, a little bit like, um, oh gosh, what does his name end up being? The the one Predacon is Skystalker. And okay. it was he was white and blue, and they uh, he's part of Beast Hunters, and, and he I think in that one he had actually shoot out his little turbines at people. But she's, so she's, she doesn't uh, she looks more like a futuristic jet than like an, an actual, you know, current military earth jet. Okay. As also befits her story. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing us. <laughs> I know. This is um, the only chance. This is my only time to troll fans. Um. <laughs> so, you, so you mentioned Windblade has a, you know, has a team or a faction or a group. So might there be other characters that we may have heard of uh, there? Like, you know, things that come to mind, like maybe other, uh, you know, previously seen female Autobot characters like, uh, you know, Chromia, Firestar, Moonracer, Alita One. I, I mean, that's a distinct possibility. <laughs> um, you know, I don't necessarily want it, there to be like some sort of Cybertronian Themyscira out there where it's like a planet of fembots. But, um, you know, the, 
why why have one fembot when you can have many fembots? <laughs> <laughs> How's that for talking out of both sides of your mouth? Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, next question, just in general. So how did you get involved with this project? Well, this is actually kind of a funny story, um, but uh, it was at uh, this past BotCon, um, which was I heard, I, you know, I was on the panel at BotCon and, you know, you, they announced Windblade. And as soon as I got off the panel, like I sort of cornered John Barber and was like, if you do a comic about Windblade, I'm doing Windblade. Like I call dibs on Windblade. <laughs> so, um, you wow, know, we dibs, trapped- works like that, huh? <laughs> dibs works like that. Dibs works like that. That's how it does. You didn't realize, but yeah, someone calls dibs. Um, but then we, we were wrapping up uh, Beast Hunters and and I hadn't heard anything. And so I was, I was moving on to other projects. And then I got a call from John that was like, we're doing Windblade. Or do you still want to do it? And I was like, yes. And I knew exactly the artist to bring with me. So very excited. Very excited. I, I, I would have been so heartbroken if they had done this without me. <laughs> I wouldn't have blamed them. Okay. Yeah, so that that leads directly into the next question. So you picked the artist for the book too, then? Yes. Well, I mean, we we definitely talked through a a bunch of different artists, but when we figured out we wanted to take a chance on, um, on like a newer artist, I've loved Sarah's work for so long. You know, I mean, you've seen her human versions of of the Prime robots, um, and I've actually been working I've been working with her on a personal project and I was just like she is perfect she's she's we have a great relationship and I'm hoping that um we can really push the art a little more you know um do do fun things with the comic itself to make that just just that much more of a plus experience sort of like I don't know if you guys remember um Scott Snyder's Batman run in Court of the Owls there's a scene where Batman's lost in a maze and sort of slowly going crazy. And the comic is actually designed so that you sort of have to flip it over and over again. And it loops back on itself to kind of drive the reader crazy. Um, okay. I'd love to be able to do things like that to push the art so that you feel, you know, the the great things about Transformers, the, the incredible movement, the massive scales that they have, you know, at scales and size difference, not plating. Um, but... <laughs> I want, I really want to give as much of the sense of like this awesome alien world as I possibly can, um, smashed into this comic. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Sarah's crying right now, by the way, <laughs> somewhere out there. <laughs> well, we, we, we hope we can get her on to talk about, uh, what she's been working on in the, in a future show. Oh yeah. I'm sure she'll be interested. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, we we she's i guess it seems like she's a relative newcomer at least we haven't seen anything she's done previously and it doesn't look like she has a comic find page so uh can you tell us what she's worked on before uh well she's mostly been in graphic design and she's done a lot of really great um transformers art um but she is relatively new to sequentials and you know it's kind of great because since she she kind of she doesn't have the same um assumptions about how a page should look that that even I have, Mm -hmm. you know? So when we started work together personally, she was giving me art that just pushed things a little bit more, you know, that didn't assume like, okay, it's four panels. I'd give her four panels and expect just, you know, the regular four panel layout. 
and, you know, panels were cutting into each other and, you know, breaking apart from each other and just doing some really neat choices whenever, uh, you know, whenever the story warranted it. And that kind of freshness just really appealed to me. Cool. Uh, is, is she doing her own colors as well? You know, we are actually, I don't know. We're not quite at that point yet. Um, I love her colors, but I love a lot of the colorists that IDW uses. So Mm -hmm. I think that'll probably end up being more a question of time and just her comfort level than anything else. Okay. So at at this point, nothing has been drawn, at least no no finished art has been done yet? It's so funny because we have all of these, there are all these fan questions and stuff like that. But at this point, I'm, I'm, by the time this airs, I will have turned in the script for issue one. Okay. <laughs> so everyone has very strong opinions about things that don't exist yet, except in my mind. So did IDW actually surprise you with the announcement? Um, well, I mean, it a, a little bit we knew it was coming. I didn't quite expect it to come on Christmas Day, but that was kind of neat. You know, I was hanging out anyway. So. And who actually works on Christmas to put that out? The, I don't know. Uh, just a very dedicated marketing person. Yeah. <laughs> So as you mentioned before, that this is a four-issue miniseries. So, but you said there's a at least uh, I saw online a couple of statements that there's a potential that if it does well, it could spin out to a, an ongoing. So, so what can fans do to help be, help it become a full ongoing series? They can pre-order, 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 pre-order. <laughs> I know <laughs> I can't say it three times fast, but I mean it three times as much. Um, <laughs> Seriously, the the best thing that fans can do is as soon as we get the official solicit out and get the diamond code, we're going to do everything in our power to plaster that all over the internet. Go to your comic book store, say you want this book, that you're interested in this book, you know, that that they should put it in your pull list. We're going to do everything in our power to make that as easy and convenient as possible for you, the fans. But if you want more Windblade and, and more Merigrid and more Sarah, like you've got to get up there and, and show your store that, you know, transformers are more than just a niche market. Everyone's going to love this story and everyone should have access to the story. All right. So keep it, you know, keep watching uh Merigrid's Twitter and her Tumblr and we'll, you know, we'll keep doing that. Exactly. And if you buy digitally, that's fine too, but you know, um, pay for it. Like <laughs> that would really help. It's always really hard when you're um, a writer, and I've actually had fans like, "Oh my gosh, I pirate your work all the time." And I'm like, "That's sweet. Could you buy it? <laughs> At least by the trade." <laughs> exactly. Or don't tell me. It's like the honor system, you know, with like movie theater candy. Like, <laughs> so uh, you know. Since uh, since Windblade is uh, you know uh, a new female uh, Transformer in the IDW universe, there's you know there's a little bit of a I guess of a some issue with some of the previous continuity that had been established, and you know we previously thought only RC was the only female Transformer out there. So will we get into that in the story at all? You know, a little. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit. I mean, first of all, I have no interest in retconning anything. Um, RC's still, it, it would be so weird too, because RC's still a vital part of the Transformers universe. Right. Like, what is, what are we going to do? Like, have RC like, oh, crud, I forgot. <laughs> My backstory isn't the same as it was. Like, that would be just bizarre. Um, we are going to touch on it 
But quite frankly, one of the reasons that I talked about it personally is that it's not actually going to be that big of an issue in the book. Like this, this is a book about transformers and windblade and she's and Starscream is still alive. Like you can bet she's going to have more issues than, you know, gender politics. Um, (laughs) That is going to be the least of her problems. Um, And I don't intend to treat her any differently than I treated Firestar and Chromia. Um, You know, I mean, we, we came up with what I think is a pretty artful solution, but um, don't worry, there will not be a a, a sort of diagrammed breakdown. Um, There's no health class edition of Transformers comics. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys remember that embarrassing discussion you you all had with a gym teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, there will be much explosion. (laughs) Oh, that's always good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, you know, it seems like a, there's been a lot of at least, uh, you know, heated discussion between fans. And then, you know, someone asks you specifically about, uh, you know, about that, that issue. And, and then, you know, you had some comments and then Simon Furman, uh, I guess had some, had some, had a response to that. But I think you, you guys have already, have, have already talked through that a little bit. So I exactly. guess, yeah, I guess, honestly, we have, you know, we spoke to each other, we ironed everything out. Um, and and quite frankly, it's it's what we always thought. We're we're reasonable human beings trying to do the best we can for this franchise. And uh, and this is a tough subject. You know, if, if it was easy to talk about, it wouldn't be an issue that needs to be talked about. And I don't have all the answers and no one has all the answers. But mm-hmm. I, I'd rather see that fans are passionate about trying to move this brand forward you know, forward into the future and, and keeping it vital to, to us and to our children. You know, I mean, I've heard once that, that science fiction is, is the dreams we give our children about what the world could be like. And Transformers is, is really a story that I want to give to as many people as possible. And I really feel like, at least from my experience, you know, I, I try and get so many people to read the book and, and, and this is, this is a way that we can get more people in and this is a way I'm going to try and get more people in. So we're just all doing our best. All right. Well said. Uh, so- I know it's so funny. It's so weird too. The, the hardest thing about this is that English is not at all equipped to talk about the gender politics of alien robots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's just, just the vocabulary alone has been like a complete, you know, trial by fire for me (laughs) so people are like are you gonna get into it in the comics and it's like i can barely talk articulately about this online like in my own voice let alone have any of the characters talk about this yeah i mean and i think in this situation the internet message boards don't really help you know they kind of just pour gasoline on the fire rather than you know Well, the internet has never been known for being a place that encourages the most civil of discord, but at the very least, people are talking, you know, and and I think it's important that we all remember that, you know, we are all fans of the brand and we're all trying to work together, Um, but at least, you know, it's, it's better to... It's better to shout and hope that we can come to a civil discussion than to just never say anything about anything. Right. Okay. So, uh, in addition to Windblade, are there any other 
projects that are coming up that you can tell us about or any, anything you're working on that you can give us a hint about? Well, you'll definitely see me on um, some more television things. Um, I'm pitching my first uh, original graphic novel um, in like two weeks. So cross your fingers for me, fans. Um, I'm also, you're going to be able to see me on IDW's new imprint, Darby Pop Comics. I'm doing a couple of issues for them. And uh, you'll also see me on uh, Lion Forge, Saber Rider, and the Star Sheriffs, which I continue to work on. So very excited to see that come out, especially because that is also has a character voiced by Peter Collin, who's a giant robot. Um, <laughs> I've joked with my husband that my career will be adapting pre- Peter Cullen. <laughs> so I'll have to do like Winnie the Pooh next. And <laughs> Eeyore is a giant robot. <laughs> exactly. No, he was Peter Cullen. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah but I'm just saying, you know. But he should be a giant robot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just throw that out there. Um. <laughs> so uh, I'm actually not familiar with, with that show. Can you just give us a you know a five-second synopsis of that and where it's oh, coming yes. out? Saber Rider is fantastic. Um, it is one of those really great like early 90s shows. It's The basic idea is that um, it's in the future – um, the, but the wild, wild west of the future. So it has a little bit of um, almost a, a Firefly vibe. And uh, in the original show, it's about um, Saber Rider and his group of star sheriffs riding their robotic horses to fight sort of bandits on, you know, old Western planets. Oh, and okay. it's sort of that wonderfully outrageous kind of cartoon that was really popular at the time, you know, like mm-hmm. He-Man or, or She-Ra where it's like, there's going to be horses and blazers and whatever. <laughs> like, and so we're putting a little bit of a, a, a spin on that to make it a little cooler and um, to, to bring it down to earth, just, a, just a teeny bit, just a teeny bit, but it's just been a lot of, um, it's still just a lot of good smash them up fun. Um, and who doesn't love, writing about rocket horses that's just <laughs> yeah it reminds me of a uh, brave star from the 80s i don't know if you've if you've seen that. yes it, it it i have to get mistaken for for brave star although brave star is the one if i remember correctly with the mutant horse person like yes. the horse was the dude yes yeah that creeps me out um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have that he's, um, a, he's in the category with puppets huh <laughs> yeah right next to puppets um <laughs> I think Saber Rider is, is done by the company that did Voltron too. Oh, okay. World Events. Yes, yeah, that same company. So, which I mean, Voltron is also a great property, but I, I feel like if I did Transformers and Voltron, it would be sort of like, well, you just do robots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Peter Cullen was a voice in, in the original Voltron too. Oh well, now I have to do it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for talking to us. We just have a, a a little fun segment we've been we've been trying out with some of our guests, where we call it rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to go through a bunch of really quick questions. They're they're basically binary, you know, yes or no, this or that uh, questions, and you just give give us an answer. Or if you don't like the the answers, you can pick your own. All right, go for it. All right. So uh, Autobot or Decepticon? Autobot. And who's your favorite uh, Autobot? RC. All right. <laughs> uh, Transformers, uh, uh, Michael Bay movie, one, two, or three? Three. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, Shia LaBeouf or Mark Wahlberg? Oh, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, more than meets the eye or robots in disguise? 
pass. That's too political for me. <laughs> uh, third party toys, yes or no? Uh, officially, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, cats or dogs? Cats. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Chicken or steak? A steak. <laughs> Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Burger King or McDonald's? Oh, neither. In and out. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're we're on the east coast, or well, a couple of us are on the east coast, so we don't see that here, and um, that's you a, guys that's... are missing out, man. <laughs> uh, history or science? Oh, put those hands together. <laughs> Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation all the way. PlayStation. <laughs> uh, Call of Duty or Battlefield? Ooh, oh, neither. Uh, PC or Mac? Don't tell my iPad, but definitely PC. <laughs> <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone or Android? Oh, strangely enough, though, still iPhone. <laughs> uh, Marvel or DC? That's that's too political for me, too. <laughs> Both. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite uh, Marvel or DC superhero or character? Oh, well, if it's if it's DC, it's Wonder Woman, hands down. Um, if it's Marvel, it's Abigail Brand. How's that for a nerd card? Oh, that that's too obscure for me. <laughs> Anyone? Uh, she just she finally appeared in the Shield show. Have you been watching that? Uh, no, I've not been watching that. I am. You know the the funny the dirty secret about comics and television is that when you're hired to write them, you no longer have time to read or watch them. <laughs> so, your my queue is all full. But no, Abigail Brand is a uh, is a uh, Nick Fury for um. Sword, which is the shield for alien threats. Oh, right. Okay. But she has she's, green hair. Yeah, she has green hair. Yeah, she, and she I, I did I do remember seeing her in the, the last Avengers cartoon, the Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon. She she was a character in that for a little while. Yeah, she never gets enough love. <laughs> uh Brad Pitt or Ryan Reynolds? Oh uh Or anybody else if you don't like those choices. Ryan Reynolds, I guess? Uh, Twilight or Hunger Games? Oh, Hunger Games. Okay. <laughs> Shame on you, Twilight <laughs> over Hunger Games. I don't know how that's even a question. Uh, Pixar or DreamWorks? Ooh, DreamWorks. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I just want to give props to, to 2D, you know? There's, I, I love Pixar. They do great, great films, but I, I really, I don't like that no one makes 2D films very much anymore. <laughs> and at least DreamWorks, you know, has made 2D, so make more 2D. They have that new um, Netflix original, I think it's 2D, on the um, the snails. Yeah, Turbo. I, yeah. My, my son was just watching that uh, this evening, and uh, he was complaining that we didn't take him to see the movie, but he was watching the show. Yes, yeah, well. Okay, uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Simpsons or Family Guy? Simpsons. Of course. Uh, Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? <sighs> Are we talking the TV shows or the source material? Uh, TV shows. Walking Dead. All right. NFL, MLB, NHL, or NBA? NHL. Oh, Daryl, you've got a nice. hot fan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Woo. Can't stand watching basketball. <laughs> oh. You know why? Awesome. One reason. Because why doesn't the opposing team just bring a small fan and blow the other team away? Those guys fall over at the drop of a freaking hat. NHL, people are bleeding on the ice and still playing. 
<laughs> a guy played with a broken leg last week. Exactly. Leg. Exactly. <laughs> I'm air fist bumping you right now. Nice. Back at you. All right. Our last question. Porsche, Ferrari, or Lamborghini? Oh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, until they make a VTOL jet that I can do, uh, uh, that's can what pick, I want to commute in. You can pick that as your answer. <laughs> that's true. Well, actually, you know what? I will have to say old school, old school, like 1950s Steve McQueen style motorcycle. Yeah. That's where it's at. Nice. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, going through the gauntlet with us. And uh, our last question is, where can people find you on the Internet and contact you? Oh, yes. Well, you can find me on um, – I'm not so much into the Facebook, but you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Tumblr. And uh, my Tumblr is mscottwrites, and my Twitter is Scott. And uh, if you have trouble spelling Marigrid, I'm going to go – it's M-A-I-R-G-H-R-E-A-D. And then Scott is significantly easier. So go nuts. <laughs> That's the first test. To someone to contact you, they have to know how to spell your name. <laughs> I know. I feel so bad for people. <laughs> I'll pretty much answer to anything that sounds like you might be possibly saying Marigrid. Um <laughs> My boss on Prime hasn't called me by my first name in like four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll put links in our in the show notes on our website, so and we'll test the links to make sure they work that we spelled them right, so people can just go there and and find you there. And, uh, you know, hopefully you won't be daring people to, you know, to say scrounge and kill any other characters on your Twitter. <laughs> I am a woman of my word. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Andrew Griffith doesn't speak for the rest of us. There are lots of people out there who liked scrounge and didn't want to see him killed. <laughs> uh, well, you still got him, you know, in other continuities. Where he gets killed there, too. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, really thanks. Thanks for, uh, taking the time to talk to us and, and thanks for telling us a little bit more about, uh, your upcoming project with, uh, uh, Windblade and we'll definitely be looking forward to that uh, in just a few months. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah. Thank you very much. No, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, so we want to thank, uh, Margaret Scott for coming on to the show and, and letting us pick her brain for a little while and, and giving us, uh, you know, a little bit about her upcoming project, uh, even though, you know, she couldn't talk a whole lot about it. And, uh, since, you know, we, her interview took a, took a good chunk of the time. So we're just going to wrap up with our trips to the store after the Christmas holiday. And, uh, we'll go into a little bit of feedback we got, uh, over the break. And then we'll come back next week with a, with a full show. So, uh, let's start with, uh, trips to the store. This should be more appropriately called our trips to the tree since you know we got a bunch of things for christmas and i'll start with daryl so what's what was uh some of your christmas haul this year yeah mine mine this year this is all christmas my my family they they know my my addiction to uh to transforming plastic so so i i definitely did well this year my uh my my cousin uh he he got me the hench figure which uh is in comic colors so that's uh that's brawn from iGear and that's a really cool third party third party figure. My my buddy, uh his name is Charles. Uh he uh he and I uh exchanged gifts and he got me Air Dancer, which is uh the third party uh remake of Slam Dance from KFC. Um not the chicken place. That's Keith's Keith's Fantasy Club and it's it's awesome. It's a really cool figure. My mom, my mom really came to the table. Um she got me 
five Legends class figures. These are uh, Optimus Prime, G2 Megatron, Bumblebee, Starscream, and Leo Prime. I don't know where she found Leo Prime, but it's awesome. And those Legends class figures really go well with the other gift that my mom got me, Metroplex. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Thing is so big. That's a big one. I spent uh, I spent about two to three hours stickering that thing up. It, it, it's insane. My daughter loves it. She, it's it's like two thirds the size of her. It's basically like a playhouse for her. It is. <laughs> it is. I, uh, I I just have to say no Barbies, no Barbies on Metroplex. <laughs> and uh, and my brother, I my brother, he he went above and beyond. He went back in time and got my gift. Um, he gave me a G1 Ultra Magnus in box, which wow. is unbelievable. I had no idea he was, uh, I, first of all, I had no idea he loved me that much <laughs> to do that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, so thanks a lot to, uh, to everybody, if, uh, in my family and, and friends and that, that went to, uh, like such great lengths to appease my, my addiction. It really did, really did well. And, uh, over the Christmas break, I also went to my comic book store and picked up, uh, Transformers Beast Hunters number eight. So fittingly, the, uh, the episode that, uh, we have Margaret Scott on, I got, uh, the last issue of her book. Cool. I want to be Daryl for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a great Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. A lot of good stuff. All right, Jeremy, uh, what what did you get? I got from my brother and brother in law and sister in law. Uh, they gave me the thirtieth anniversary book collection that you know has all the comics. I think you got it a few months back, right? And it's funny because my sister in law saw me reading the Covenant of Primus book, and she she thought that it was the same book that she had gotten me, and she started panicking, and then you know. Once I opened it and I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't the same thing. She, she was much relieved. <laughs> I was like, well, I could have dealt with two of them, but yeah, I, I really, <laughs> I really was looking forward to this book. And then from my wife, I got, um, the Orion Pax Hoist Trail Cutter and Bumblebee Generations figures. And I've opened all of them but Hoist so far and I'm fairly impressed with them. I think Trail Cutter is probably one of my favorites so far. All right. And then also the last thing I got, it's not Transformers related, but it's kind of podcast related. I, I used some gift cards I got and I got a new microphone, the, the Blue Yeti. So I'll be sounding a little bit more clear than I have in the past. I thought I could tell a, a, a definite uh, masculinity in your voice this time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Yoshi, uh, did you get anything over the holidays? I did, um, uh, but this was a Christmas gift I got myself. I picked up a unique uh, Casey Kohler drawing that uh, he had for sale of Optimus Prime, which I just love. It's just amazing. The guy is a very talented artist. Cool. What about you, Charles? What did you get? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, if you've been if you listen to our Christmas episode, you've heard the sad tale of the Covenant of Primus, where I pre-ordered it for myself, and then my wife also pre-ordered it for my Christmas present. So, uh, and you're still together. There's no divorce pending. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't, I left it under the tree. I didn't open it until Christmas. So, you know, she, I got her some nice Christmas presents. So she was, uh, no longer upset about that. And so I, I finally opened up the covenant of Primus and, you know, I'm, I'm happily enjoying all the awesome, you know, sounds coming out of there, <laughs> you know, so. 
So I'm loving that. <laughs> and I, I actually read through the whole book. So I, uh, you know, it's, it's really nice. Um, you know, it's, it's for the Transformers Prime show and the, and the, you know, War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron video games. But they do a really good job of kind of taking bits from all the different continuities and, and mythos of Transformers and weaving that into a, you know, a single coherent story. So it also takes a bit from the, the Exodus and Exiles books as well. Okay. When they were talking about like Velocitron and Junkion and stuff, that's from those books. Oh, okay. All right. And I imagine I, maybe some, some stuff in the upcoming novel that's coming out next year, maybe some of that is in there too. I wonder if they, if they collaborated on that. Uh, maybe. I'm sure Hasbro has like a, a loose idea of what the aligned continuity is. And I think that's basically what this is. It's the aligned stuff. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, maybe we'll get into a discussion about the Covenant of Primus in a future show. I don't want to give out any spoilers now, but I I do have have to finish it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So that was my, my only Transformers related Christmas present. But then I did uh, go visit my parents over the holidays and my mom has been, you know, trying to clean out her house and my dad's kind of a hoarder. So she's trying to get stuff out of the house and she dug up a bunch of some of my old stuff and she found, you know, a Transformers thermos from the G1 lunchbox that I had as a kid. So the third, she didn't have the lunchbox, but she had the thermos. It's in perfect condition. It's never been used uh, just because I had a thing about using thermoses when I was a kid. So I never used the thermos for my, any of my lunchboxes when I was a kid. <laughs> so it still has like even the, the little directions insert about, you know, how to take care of your thermos in there. Nice. That's <laughs> and, impressive. Uh, High five yeah. young Charles for doing that. <laughs> so now, uh, you know, she, she said, uh, yeah, please take it, take it back with you. I don't, I don't want it, you know, sitting around the house. So now it's back with me. It's like thermos meet eBay. <laughs> and, uh, so then also while Christmas shopping for the rest of my family, uh, in big lots, they had a sale on Transformers, you know, buy one, get one half off. So I picked up a couple of the Generations Legends uh, figures. So one was Megatron in his, uh, IDW, uh, pre-war body with Chop Shop. And uh, the Star Scream with Waspinator, and I think Jeremy, cool. you already have that Star Scream, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, so I picked picked those up. So they were ten dollars each, but with the sale, I got them both for fifteen dollars. Cool. And uh, then after the uh, after Christmas, uh, you know, went just shopping in Target and uh, Sandstorm. There was one Sandstorm on the shelf in the toy section, and I walked by him two or three times and said, "Okay, you can come home with me." So. Pick that, pick that up. But uh, just because I had Sandstorm as a kid, and you know, I I already have a Springer, so I figured, you know, these are these were both two great toys that came out last year, so I wanted to to get them. You say it like you're, you know, at like a um, a shelter, and you're like walking past a puppy <laughs> three or four times, like, yeah, you can come home with me. <laughs> well, you know. So- He's he's either gonna you know sit there and you know someone will snap him up and he might end up on eBay or whatever but you know I'll give him a good home so yeah. <laughs> like you adopted a sandstorm <laughs> or heaven forbid it ends up with a kid <laughs> <laughs> oh god can you imagine he'd be tortured it's <laughs> <laughs> terrible missing parts broken bits <laughs> and uh, last but not least so they had a a sale on digital comics over New Year's, and I picked up uh, the UK classics uh, uh, trades uh, volumes one through four in comic o- comicsology. So. I forgot to mention I, I got volumes one through three of those. 
Oh, great. For the cool. UK ones. That was a really good yeah, deal. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I have all the U.S., the physical copies of the U.S. issues, so, but, uh, and I have some of the U.K. comics, but the, the U.K. classics are, are a good way for me to dig back into those stories, since those are ones that I'm somewhat less familiar with, so going to enjoy those. All right, so uh, I think that'll wrap up our trips to the store. And we'll just end with uh, just a little bit of, uh, you know, we, some of us have been showing up on other places on the internet, so we wanted we wanted to mention that and then get into a little bit of feedback. Uh, so Jeremy and I were both on the Iconic Reviews anniversary show that was put out just around Christmas time uh, last year. So Iconic Reviews is another podcast, and they do they review older IDW comics. So they've been going through the first uh, IDW miniseries Infiltration, and then they're they're going through Stormbringer right now. So these are you know, some of the genesis of the IDW universe, and they've been going through that. And they've, uh, they had me on for a couple of shows, which I was, uh, you know, very honored to go on there. And uh, they put a call out to see if anyone wanted to, uh, take part in their anniversary show. So, uh, both Jeremy and I got to go on there. And, uh, that was, it was pretty cool. And they, they also did a great thing where they kind of weaved all our responses in, into a single narrative. So we all did separate interviews, but then they edited everything together. So it seems like, you know, we're all in a room together almost. Not unlike how we do this podcast. <laughs> yeah. That, it was fun to do. Yeah. So, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So definitely check them out there. They, you know, they, they have a great podcast and you should listen to them too. All right. And Daryl, you've, uh, you've been out on the internet as well, haven't you? I, well, yeah, I just, uh, just lately, I, uh, I was sitting down at my computer and, uh, watching the Ustream from, uh, EB4i. So it's another reviewer that, uh, does toys. He does a couple things different than just Transformers. I think he does Star Wars, um, as well as Doctor Who and a couple other things, but, uh, mainly Transformers. So I was watching his Ustream show and he, uh, he said, "Well, why don't you why don't you Skype in and we can you can talk about the uh, the podcast uh, our our podcast about the uh, the top uh, top toys of 2013." So I I skyped in and we had a good little discussion on there and uh, it was good. He's got it. He's got the uh, the show on YouTube right now. So if you want to take a look at it, it's uh, it's at uh, eb4i net, I believe, is his channel. And uh, yeah, it's a, it was a great. Uh, it was a great time. The thing's only like an hour, so um, I don't get on the call until about uh, 19 minutes in. But no, it was a great time. Cool, and then he helped us out with uh, narrowing down the choices for our 2013 survey for best toys, too. Yeah, he was he was definitely one of the guys that uh, that helped out with that. I uh, I think that's uh, why he wanted to talk to me about it. Awesome. All right, and uh, just a, a little bit of feedback we also received. So. Uh, uh, on Facebook, one of our listeners, uh, Matthew Ignash, and uh, I didn't realize this before, but he was also Scaleface on the Full Metal Hero forum. So I think in previous episodes, uh, we referred to some feedback we got from Scaleface and also from Matthew Ignash, and they're actually the same person. So hope I didn't just blow your minds there, but, uh, you know, that's... <laughs> uh, and so he uh, gave us some comments uh, on episode 19, which was, uh, I guess, right before Christmas, where we talked about uh, a third-party quick switch which is an obscure uh, G1 Autobot 6 changer. And he tell he tells us that uh, one of the most obscure appearances of the Autobot 6 changer was in a UK audiobook called Decepticons Underground. And it's set on the planet Nebulos in the fifth year of the toy line. 
and it has Quick Switch and two other obscure Autobots who turn out to be the double target masters, uh, Quick Mix and Scoop, and they're having an encounter with some Decepticons. And he gave us a link to the video he put up on YouTube, and I listened to this, and it's it's really interesting and really kind of weird. It's uh, Quick Switch uses uh, basically five of his six modes in the in the story. And I guess that's because one of his modes is like a laser pistol, like, you know, a gun. So there's no one to hold him in gun mode. So that's why he doesn't use a sixth mode. And then he works with, you know, these double target masters, quick mix and scoop. But we don't have any mention of their target master partners, even though the story says it's set on Nebulos. But we don't see any of the, like, you know, the Nebulon characters in the story at all. And... You know, it's just, uh, it's funny. And they also have the Optimus Prime is in the story briefly and it looks like he's in his Power Master Prime form. So that indicates it's, you know, later in the toy line. And it's, you know, it's just a really weird, interesting story that really has no connection to any, anything else. But well, well, you know what the significance of Nebulos is, don't you? As I put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, well, other, other than the headmasters and target master stuff. Right. So that's why, yeah, they have, they have, uh, you know, quick, what is it? Quick, quick mix and scoop are two of the later target masters. So they're there, but they don't, they, they mention that their, their war has come to Nebulos, but they don't mention anything about the headmaster or target master partners, which is kind of odd. Hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, the, it, like even the, the intro to the story, it says, you know, they fought for millions of years on Cybertron, then their war spread to Earth. And then, by the way, we're on Nebulos now. And that's how the story starts. And then they don't really go into anything about headmasters and target masters. So it's, yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird, <laughs> but yeah. So, I, and I guess Yoshi, you're getting into the headmaster series right now on your blog, right? Yeah. Just posted up the first review for the first of the four issues. And, uh, God, if I can find the time, the second one will be up on time. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll maybe much, much later down the line, we'll get to that on the podcast too. <laughs> yeah. Yep, hopefully. All right. And then, uh, the, another bit of feedback we got was, uh, on Twitter. So it seems like we, we've picked up a, a podcast super fan and, uh, the Twitter, his name is, uh, dual mirrored grid work and his, uh, Twitter handle is at DMG 1001. And, uh, he's, he's been binge listening to all our past shows and really likes them. So thanks for the support. Definitely. We, we appreciate picking up new listeners and it's great that, that you're enjoying what we're doing and, and we hope you keep listening. So. Uh, you know, keep on, keep on going and <laughs> binge away, sir. Binge away. <laughs> yeah, binge away. <laughs> and, uh, and while, while you're doing all that binge listening, please make sure to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, or both. And also like us on the Facebook page. So, you know, we're, we're trying to increase our visibility. So, and that, that goes for basically all our listeners. If I could please, uh, give a new year's resolution to everyone to just please give us a review either on iTunes or Stitcher or both. And give us a like on Facebook. It helps us out so very much when they do that, because then we can put uh, quick little ads, and we can put some funding back into the show. And it would just be—it would mean the world to us if you guys could like us and and promote us and anything. Anything would be huge. Yeah, and I mean, it, you don't have to write a term paper or anything. Just you know, a couple sentences, and just let us know that you think we're doing well, and uh, we'd appreciate that. All right, so uh, I think that'll wrap up this episode. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for picking up our transmission. 
give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com where you can find all of our contact info on social media and links to all of our show notes discussed in each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.